This is my third Mass this weekend. You think I would have looked this up by now, but I have not. I think it's Time Magazine that has uh, that like top 100 or top 10 list of most influential people. I think, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Time and I'm pretty sure it's top 100. Regardless, I'm curious who you would think are the, the top most influential people. So actually, I just want you to, to take a couple moments and to come up with your list of top three most influential living people today. Who would you put in the top three most influential people alive in the world today? Just take a couple moments and think of that. Okay, some of you are probably still working. We'll come back to that. I want to point out uh, something from the readings today. I think that first reading was particularly interesting, right? Um, by the way, if you're ever looking for a, a nice scriptural pick-me-up, uh, don't look to Job. <laughs> don't, don't read Job. There's not much in there that's going to leave you with warm fuzzies. Uh, and today, actually, uh, the last line we get in the reading, he says, And I shall never find happiness again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but he began that reading with this line. He says, Isn't man's life on earth a drudgery? And I find that word drudgery really a powerful word. He's not saying boredom. It's not like we're looking for something to do and we don't have stuff to do. He's not saying that we're just bored. He's saying, isn't our life just a drudgery? Which is more like, like the daily grind. Like you're just trudging through the muck, just trying to make it. Right? i got to go to class again. i got to wake up for work again. Take care of the kids again, because they just keep crying again. i got to wake up for prayer if you're a monk. Wake up for prayer in the morning again. It's the same thing. Day in and day out. It's just a drudgery. You ever feel like that? Does that resonate with your experience? I'll do you one better. Job's friend, uh, not actual friends, but scriptural friend, Solomon, uh, who we're reading in our daily readings uh, throughout this week and last week and this week. Solomon is one of the most powerful men on earth. He is clearly the wisest man on earth. He has that gift from God. He has everything a person could want. He has respect from everyone around him. Kings and queens come from far off to come meet this man who is so renowned for his wisdom. He has 500 wives and 1,000 concubines. And he's a king. He's got all the pleasure in the world he could want. He's got all the power at his fingertips he could want. And he looks at all of that including even the pursuit of wisdom, he looks at all of that and he says, you know, it's all just vanity. In the end, it's all just vanity that comes in Ecclesiastes. So we have Job who says, isn't man's life on earth a drudgery? And Solomon says, it's just vanity. Why could these men not find meaning in life well, because they didn't know Jesus, right? Do you know that we're not meant to live a life that's just drudgery and vanity? Jesus says, I've come so they may have life and have it abundantly. 
And I tell you these, these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy complete. And that's what Jesus brings. So Job and Solomon didn't know Jesus. Well, clearly, they knew God, but God was out there. They didn't know Jesus. Okay, now let's go back to your top three list. Top three most influential living people. Be honest with yourselves. Was Jesus on that list? If he wasn't, why not? He's alive. He is clearly the most influential person who's ever lived on the face of the planet. He's the only person who came into this world and changed the entire course of our destiny, who changed the entire destiny for all of mankind. He is the most influential person ever to have lived, but he's also really living. He's alive. This realization changes everything. That Jesus is a living person, not just 2,000 years ago. So we hear in the gospel really some powerful stories. He cured people of all kinds of illnesses, and he cast out demons. That's awesome. Only living people do that. Dead people don't do things. Only living people do stuff. Do you know those things happen today? That people are cured and demons are cast out? Jesus is alive. He is living. And our worlds were changed when we realized that. I remember when I was in college, my world changed. When I came to this realization, I was reading a biography of Jesus, more like a sort of a historical novel of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I, I, not all of a sudden really, it took time, but I realized, wait a second. So Jesus, is, he was an actual person that lived 2,000 years ago? And not just like the name that we give to a moral code that I'm supposed to live by and feel bad about when I don't live by and go to confession for when I don't live by. You mean he's, he was a real person? And not only that, but we actually believe that he's still really living now in the Eucharist? Oh my goodness, <laughs> I can follow this man. It changes everything. I've known other people who have come to this realization by praying the rosary. They're meditating on the mystery of the resurrection and they think, okay, so Jesus died and then he rose and then he ascended into heaven. So that means Jesus is living somewhere right now. That means he's alive. I've met people who have gone to adoration for years and sometimes for the very first time they show up and they look at the host on the altar, and they say, oh my goodness, that's really you. For the first time. They've been going for years, but all of a sudden he became a living person for them now. I've known other people who have met the living person of Jesus by the kindness and the supernatural grace shown to them by the people around them. They've met Jesus in the eyes of their peers. And that's how they knew that he was living because their peers were behaving in ways that no one on earth could behave on their own power. Jesus is alive. If you hear nothing else, believe that. And if he's alive, then we can have a relationship with him. This is good news, especially for us monks. We, we make a vow of stability. That is a stupid vow. If, why stay put for the rest of our lives 
if we don't have a living person to have a relationship with, a person that gives meaning to everything in our lives. Right? Why would we make a vow to never go find adventure out there and to live as one of my favorite monastic authors calls an unexciting life? He wrote a book called The Unexciting Life and vocations just came in droves. Not really. Why is it that we do something like that? Because the adventure is not out there. The adventure is living a relationship with the person who created the universe. In him and for whom and through whom all things exist. That's, that's not just monks though too. That's, that's for all of us. That's for every living person. Past, present, and will, to, and will be. So my call today, I think it's the Lord's call today, develop a friendship with Jesus, a relationship with him. A friendship with Jesus cures all of the earth's problems. Name in your head, name your problems. What is it that you struggle with? I promise you, the answer to that is friendship with Jesus. I promise you. The answer to all of your problems is friendship with Jesus. Not that he takes them away, he doesn't take away our suffering. Right? That's, that's what the cross reminds us all the time. He doesn't take away our suffering. He doesn't take away the drudgery of life sometimes. He just gives a, a companion in it. He gives us a friend to walk it. Right? When you're really suffering in life, what do you do? You turn to a friend, most likely, and your closest of friends. And somehow, their companionship helps you out, doesn't it? And the better the friend, the more help they, they are. Jesus knew that. He had his mom by his side when he was crucified. And his disciple John, he kept the people who were closest to him literally closest to him. So don't just make Jesus a friend. Make him your best friend. Now, I think sometimes we can hear that phrase and think like cynically. I know I have. I'm sorry. I've confessed it. Um, but we can think like when someone says Jesus is my best friend there's at least a part of me I'll just say me that was like yeah that might be because you don't have other friends (laughs) you know that's like that's horrible (laughs) but if it's true if they really have Jesus as their best friend well good nothing else really matters that's not exactly true friends are good We we should want friends uh, but Jesus is the only one who can actually be the best of friends in all of life's circumstances. You don't just get there overnight, though. You don't go from, think of human relationships, from an acquaintance to a best friend overnight. It takes time and energy and effort, and you have to choose to do so. So how do you do so? I've already named a couple. I want to mention three more. The first... Uh, is this book. This is called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. In my opinion, this is the best book that has ever been written on prayer. Which is kind of funny because it's not even a book on prayer. And it's not even really written by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. So this is a sham. Don't read it. No. Uh, this, this is a book about literally uh, just what the title says. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's the, most, it's the easiest and most repetitive book you'll ever read. 
And if you just live the title of this book, you'll live the contents of this book. And if you live the contents of the book, you will be a saint. This is just uh, stories from his life and little things he wrote on a napkin every once in a while and one-page letters he'd send to friends, which he never intended to be seen. This is in a published book. So, so read something like this. Uh, and then practice the presence of God. He's not out there, he's here. Job thought God was there. Christians know that God is here. And there, and there, and everywhere. So, so practice his presence. Let me, let me give an example. Um, I was on retreat, and when I take retreats, what I like to do is go to some place where I don't have to talk to anybody. I go find a quiet cabin somewhere now that I'm a priest, and I just bring my mass stuff, my prayer stuff. I'll, I'll bring something to read, my hiking boots, and I just, like, go by myself somewhere. But I, So I was on retreat, my diaconate retreat, uh, at a Trappist monastery. And I, part of my retreats, I just love to walk. The farther, the better. The, best, the better the scenery, the better. Uh, and actually, <laughs> to be honest, part of my retreats is like getting lost on my walks and then having someone drive me back. Um, but that's part of the fun of it. So I, I was out on, on these walks uh, at this monastery, and they had a dog there. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. And this dog is, um, I know I just made enemies in here. I'm sorry. Um, this, there was uh, the stray dog they adopted. Her name was Abby. That's appropriate for a monastery. And so I'd go walking uh, with Abby. I'd, I'd go outside for my walk. I'd say, Abby, go for a walk with me. And so Abby come bounding in, um, and we'd just go for a walk, and it was awesome. And she led me back home, too, which is even better. Uh, and then I remember one time I stepped out, and I said, Abby, you want to go for a walk? Abby, nothing. Abby, Abby, nowhere to be found. And I was, like, heartbroken. It was kind of silly how much a dog's presence or non-presence affected me. And, and I didn't even really want to walk at that point. Uh, then I realized this. This is going to sound kind of silly, sort of cheesy, but it's true. I said, oh my goodness. Jesus, I, I get so excited about this dog going for a walk with me, but I haven't even asked you if you want to go for a walk with me. So you want to go for a walk with me? <laughs> And it was the best walk I think I've ever had in my life. We just, we just walked like two friends. It was awesome. Because he was a present friend, a real person. Mike Sweeney, do you guys know Mike Sweeney? He's a Royals baseball player, five-time All-Star. He said his entire career changed when he realized he wasn't playing for a crowd of 20,000. He was praying, playing for a crowd of one. He would picture Jesus above the dugout and as he'd go up to bat, he'd look over and he'd say, Jesus, are you proud of me? Said, yeah, all right. And then he'd just rip one out of the park. You bet he's proud of him. His whole life changed when he realized, I'm playing for an audience of one. Nothing else matters. I have one friend that will last for all eternity. Make Jesus your best friend. I also... Um, I've been formed by the movement Communion and Liberation, uh, started by Father Luigi Giussani. And the way they pray the Angelus is kind of funny. The only CL people think they can change standard Catholic prayers. 
so the way we normally pray the Angelus is the word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is scripture, right? So we're changing scripture. So instead they say the word became flesh and dwells among us, which is not past tense. It's right now. He's right here. So, so practice the presence of God. Another thing, how else do you make Jesus your friend? Well, you make friends with his friends. We, we know this on a human level, don't we? If you like a girl, you're going to go find her friends and kind of cozy up to them, get to know them a little bit so that you can get to know all about her and get in with her group. So if we, if we want to become friends with somebody, we get plugged into their community. So you want to be friends with Jesus, get plugged into his community. Make friends with his friends. Okay, there's a lot more we can say. I want to mention one more. Uh, and this one comes with a little disclaimer. Uh, so go to the Holy Land. Go to the Holy Land. You don't have to go, but it's a great opportunity to get to plant your foot on the land that Jesus' own foot walked. Right, we're going in May. I'm leading a pilgrimage in May. Now, this is the disclaimer. I'm not saying this for my sake. In fact, I've been before. My life would be fine if I never go again. In fact, I would have been okay if I never got to go in the first place. I made a vow of stability in Kansas. I kind of knew that coming in. But this is a gift I got to do. So I'm not saying this for my sake. I'm saying it for your sake. Think about going to the Holy Land. Right? You'll get to get into a boat just like the one that he was in and sail on the sea that he walked across. We'll probably sing Oceans. If you know that song, there's no better time to sing Oceans than literally on the very water that he walked across. And you'll look up and you'll be like, okay, so that hill, that's, that's where he multiplied the loaves for the 5,000. And over there, that's probably where the swine were cast into the ocean because Jesus cast into them the demons and they went running over the hill. It will change your experience. We'll actually stay entirely, we'll stay all night in the sepulcher. You will go to the place that is now empty, meaning he is not there. He is no longer dead. He is risen. And you can touch, literally touch the place where the crucifix touched the earth and where his blood dripped down and covered the rock. You can, you can go there and pray there all night and all kinds of things. Look, it, don't go just because I'm saying go. Go because uh, it's something that you feel called and desire to do. Um, and you don't have to go with my pilgrimage. You, you know, it's not even mine. I just happen to be going on it. Um, but think about going. It makes Jesus tangible. I don't care how he becomes alive for you. I just care that he does become alive for you, that that realization soaks in. And it's no more present and powerful and tangible now than in this Mass.